0: Today I'm honored to have Bob Berg on the Who Knew in the Moment podcast. Bob has a fascinating story from starting in sales to growing his uh, personal development by reading a book on a chance encounter and then starting to do public speaking and becoming one of the best-selling authors. Enjoy Bob's story. Hello everybody and welcome to the Who Knew in the Moment podcast. I'm excited. Uh, Today we have Bob Berg. Uh, Bob Berg is a a famous author and has uh, sold almost uh, two million books uh, or copies of his books in his career and uh, the series that's probably gained the most notoriety of Bob's is The Go Giver and there are uh, four different books that are included in that and so Bob's accolades are are, are vast. Uh, you know, he was named Inks or one of Inc.'s top 100 leadership speakers in the public keynote space. But what I would say is uh, just knowing uh, as much as I do about Bob, uh, Bob's books help professionals not only in their professional walk, but also in their personal life. And uh, his, he's a very genuine guy, but one of his missions is to add value to others. And uh, that's very evident in the books he's written and the things that are the topics that he speaks about. So, Bob, good to have you today. Bill, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, as everyone knows, the premise of the podcast is, uh, you know, in these small moments, um, we don't know exactly what they're going to allow us to pivot into, or how they're going to radically change our lives, but inevitably, in hindsight, we can start connecting the dots. And so... um, Bob, I know you didn't start off as an author. I know as a kid, you loved books and your parents were very supportive of that, but you started in the sales industry. So how did you get involved in sales and what was uh, the attractiveness there for you?
1: Yeah, you know, I started in sales after uh, after beginning as a broadcaster. I started out in radio doing sports, and then I was in, in TV. I was working for a very small ABC affiliate in the midwestern United States. Uh, I was actually the the late night news guy, and uh, I really wasn't very good. <laughs> I could read the news, that wasn't an issue, but I certainly wasn't a reporter. I certainly wasn't a journalist, and. And I also realized that wasn't going to be my calling. And so I, I started and I like to say I graduated into sales.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah.
1: The the challenge was that I had no sales background, no formal training. And the training where I was working was, we'll say negligible at VEST, <laughs> at meaning it, yes. was, it was non-existent. So uh, it was pretty much just me going out there myself, doing the best I can. Uh, I, I had what the late great Jim Rohn would have said. I I had the motivation, but I didn't have the information. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So pretty much I was banging my head against the wall, uh, for uh, about four months or so. And, uh, I went into a bookstore one day and I saw a couple of books on sales. Now this, that doesn't sound like a big deal today, but back then 40 years ago or so that just wasn't as prevalent. Right. Not everybody knew about those kinds of resources. So I, I saw these books. One was by Zig Ziglar. One was by Tom Hopkins, two of the, you know, immortals of the, of the business of the, of the genre. Yeah. And, um, I got their books, and I, I, I like to say I didn't read them; I devoured them. So right. I would I would go home after work, and I would just read and study, and highlight, and take notes, and dog ear pages, and practice, and you know everything. Well, within a few weeks, my sales began to go through the roof, and and that was very encouraging to me Absolutely. because what it says is if you have a methodology, uh, a system, if you will, for doing something there's really nothing within reason that you cannot accomplish Uh, to this day i would personally define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal Mm. based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles the key being predictability if you uh, have learned that uh, doing a certain thing, the, if you do A, you'll get the des- desired results of B. You know that by doing A, you'll get the desired results of, of B. You might have to work at it. Well, you will have to work at it. And there might be a lot of no's along the way, but you'll get that desired result. And so yeah. so again, that was very encouraging. And, and I enjoyed doing well in sales. And I started to really make a study of it. And as you know, part of sales is studying personal development. Yes. And that I really, this was a whole new world to me. I had no idea this stuff existed. So, yeah. I mean, I just devoured uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, Thinking Grow right. Rich by Napoleon Hill, The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. David Schwartz, and Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. I mean, I'd be just, and it, it became a, a just a love, a passion of mine. And, uh, you know, eventually I, I worked my way up to sales manager of another company. And, and from there I started teaching people how to do what was working for me. and Uh, as what did they used to say on the Seinfeld show yada 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 (laughs) 30 years later here we are talking
0: yeah man so I want to ask about something you know what sent you to the bookstore that day Uh, what what was the reason that you had shown up and Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I knew I needed something. I, I didn't know yeah. what it was. I mean,
1: I didn't expect, I thought maybe I'd look for books on business or something and that yeah. that would somehow help me. I, I wasn't really sure how, but you know, I've always tended to do that when I wasn't exactly sure what to do. I tried to head in a general direction yes. of where I felt I needed to go. And all of a sudden things would happen and I'd, I'd find exactly what I, what I needed.
0: I love that. I love that. Okay, so- As you know you read through this and like you said hey it probably only took me three weeks and it was you know I I started seeing results was that a catalyst for you to start helping others or was that more so hey that allowed me to have my success and then you know as you mentioned eventually get into a manager role. Well, one of the things I loved about those two books
1: is that, and, and pretty much all the great sales books I've read since then. Cause I mean, you know, I've read hundreds and hundreds of books on selling. Yeah. The good ones will always tell you that the main goal of sales is to help the other person. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it, what is selling by definition, right? Selling is discovering what the other person needs, wants, or desires and helping them to do it. You know, when you speak, I know you're a very successful financial advisor. So when you talk to a client, uh, you're not just giving them a bunch of things to do and to invest in, you're first asking questions. You're discovering what they're looking to accomplish. You know, what's their level of comfort? Uh, What kind of legacy do they wanna leave? What do they want from their lives that you can then match up through? The products you're doing. So yes. when we look at selling that way, it's always about giving, right? It's always about bringing value to another human
0: being. That, that's awesome. I think that's a key takeaway. And it was one of the things I, uh, I have it here when I first read Go-Givers Sell More um, was the idea that, you know, everyone's in a form of sales, right, Uh, is some people, maybe their direct paycheck or career Mm -hmm. is in sales, but everyone is in sales, whether that's selling yourself in a relationship, selling yourself, you know, to your kiddos, your friends, your company. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and how, you know, that's impacted your mindset and some of the things that you've written?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I I remember back in school, in
0: high school, and I was a horrible student, by the way, back in (laughs) school. I'm I'm not proud of it. It just
1: what it was. I, I didn't get why i needed to be there i wanted to be out into the world and and mm. kind of felt like ah you know what's this and and you know you think about something like history yeah. okay one of my favorite subjects now, right? But back in school, my attitude was like every other kid's attitude—not every other kid, but most of the kids' attitudes, which was, "Why do I care about something that happened 200 years ago, or 50 years ago, or a thousand years ago?" And you know, my—I remember my history teacher, and she was a lovely human being, a wonderful person. Um, but, you know, I think about it in retrospect, when I started to understand what selling was and about how, as you say, we're all selling something, the first thing she should have sold us on was why history is important. Bingo. You know? Yeah. Um, but because without a proper premise, you know, without you, you, all the logic in the world, you know, doesn't matter. Right. And so I think that's what sales taught me is, is just as you said, we're all selling Something to someone, and again, as long as we have that other person's best interest at heart, um, you know we're on the right track.
0: I enjoy it. Now, I want you to speak a little bit about this. Uh, You you talked about how you went to um, a Zig Ziglar conference once. And he was offering, uh, you know, his tapes at the time, right? You know, t- to your point today, right. we say, hey, you have a login and you pay a monthly membership. Whatever <laughs> right. But at the time it was tapes. It's that tape albums. <laughs> yeah. And the person that you went or that you went with said, gosh, I can't even afford that. And you said, that's the reason. So would you share a little bit about that story? Because I think that's very impactful.
1: Well, he was. He, yeah, he was. He was uh, sharing from on stage his, his tapes. And if you ever saw Zig speak, you know, he'd walk the stage and he'd hold them up. and he, oh, he was he was magnificent. And yeah. um, and so you know, I went to to get up as soon as it was over to go back and get the tapes. I you know I was so broke at the time. You know, I was I was trying to work my way up to being broke. Actually, I yeah. was even broke. <laughs> you know, I mean. And yeah. and so were you know the other people who were there and that I had gone with and. And just a couple of them said, you know, well, Berg, what are you doing? I said, I'm going back there to get his tapes. And they said, Well, you can't afford his tapes. We can't afford his tapes. None of us can afford his tapes. And I said, Yeah, that's why I'm going back to get his <laughs> tapes. So one day I'll be able to afford his tapes and anything else I want. Yes. You know, and, and again, I, I didn't listen to them. I devoured them. Right. And so, you know, you, so uh, you know, I think that's what it is. It's it's really what we're willing to in, in, invest in.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that's the key word, right? It, it's an investment, it's not. When we're spending money on something that is going to benefit us in the future, it's not just, you know, an instant gratification thing. It it is an investment, right? It's a difference of how we view that. So exactly. That's great. So as you're um, growing your, your sales career, at what point do you start thinking about, you know, maybe I should do either keynote speaking and or starting to write a book?
1: well so the speaking came first okay. which for a lot of people it's the opposite but for me the speaking came came first um you know as I was doing really well in sales and I and I started studying other speakers and you know because again the whole personal development thing I just loved it what happened was I had bought somebody else's set of tapes because I'm a you know voracious tape buyer and book and everything else and at the uh, and so after this other person spoke I bought his his tapes and at the end of his tapes he said something like, You know, if you want to make some extra money uh, selling my tapes uh, by speaking, uh, call our office and we'll show you how or something like that. So I did. (laughs) And they taught me how to you know, go out and speak at all these civic groups, clubs, organizations speaking for free and and doing, you know, 20, 25, 30 minutes and then selling his tapes wow and so i learned how to do it and i became I, I from what they told me i was their number one set but i don't know how many people were doing it you know <laughs> <laughs> it could have been like one of one who knows but yeah but, but um but anyway i really enjoyed it but after a couple of years i realized i kind of wanted to do my own thing and have so I, I started you know doing what what i had kind of learned putting together some of my own unique materials and started started speaking uh, I joined the uh, National Speakers Association so I could learn how to have a speaking business because the speaking yeah. business is a business like anything else. You've got to know how to set it up, how to sell, how to market your speaking, how to, you know, what have you. Yeah. Um, I, had, you know, kind of built that up uh, for a couple of years and uh, you know, I was doing okay. money in, money out, money in, money. It's, it's the beginning of any kind of business. And it was hard to, you know, right get that going, but um, as I started to get a little bit more sustainably successful, I remember being at a um, National Speakers Association convention, and a couple friends of mine, one was Randy Pennington, and uh, he wasn't a friend of mine then, he, he's since become a great friend of mine, but Randy was one of the seasoned speakers, and, and there were some others, and we were sitting around and, and talking, and, and a couple of them said, Berg, you should really write a book, Uh, it's going to help position yourself in the marketplace. You'll be able to be booked uh, more, get higher fees, have more credibility, blah, blah, blah. And so I listened. So that's, you know, so my first book, which was endless referrals, uh, um, network your everyday contacts into sales, which was a how to book. Um, that was just totally utilitarian. I did that for the positioning in the marketplace. Uh, and it was a great move. I mean, it worked very well. Yeah. Um, After that, my books became more because I felt I had something to say some value to provide that I felt could be expressed in a book and reach more people. But yeah, that first one was just was totally because it would help me market my business.
0: I love it. So I want to rewind a little bit just do a couple of things that you mentioned, which uh, I want to highlight. So first was, Uh, A gentleman that you went and listened to makes a comment at the end, hey, if you'd like to sell my stuff, you can go speak for free and we might, you know, compensate you a little bit for selling our product. How did those original and beginning uh, speeches or opportunities to speak go and what were some of the greatest takeaways you had in the beginning of speaking?
1: Well, what was really good is that I did probably over that time about 100 free speeches. And so I got it down, you know what I mean? You start mm-hmm. to know what, what works, what doesn't, you get more comfortable, you start to know. So it's, it's interesting because we now have a team of certified go-giver speakers, people who yeah. pay us good money to, to, for the licensing rights to the materials, we teach them how to speak, we teach them how to market, the whole thing. One of the things I, I talk to them about and suggest they do, do about a hundred free speeches at yep. every civic club, group, organization, anyone that will, will have you there to speak because there's nothing like really getting comfortable with the material with yourself. So you're not looking at notes. You're not having to think about it. You're able to, to really be with the audience and you can, your focus can be on the audience, yes. not on yourself. And what am I going to say next? You start to learn what laugh lines work and which ones don't. You, right. know, you, start to, you know what I'm saying? So those, yeah. those three speeches are worth their weight in gold.
0: Yes. Well, so what I, what I love about what you're talking about, Bob, is everyone sees where you're at now to your point earlier, right? Hey, and 30 years later, here I am. Everyone can see the success you're at now, right? I mean, the, you know, a quantity of books, the listings and accolades of your speaking. You, I mean, you got honored into a uh, hall of fame of speakers. I mean, you, you. you're, you're great at it, but it started with being willing to do the free things, right? And I think for so many people, they want the end result with the beginning starting spot. And so what would be your, you know, motivation to folks of if they're just wanting to get started in a new business or they're just wanting to get started in a new avenue, you know, what would you give as encouragement saying, Hey, you know, having lived this life and done, you know, the, the speaking and the book writing and getting to where I'm at, here's why I tell you to start.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a, a wonderful question. And I, and I think it's a little bit different for different people depending yep. upon their business and what they're looking to do. So, yep. you know, if someone's, let's say someone was going to get into financial services, be a financial advisor. Well, that doesn't mean that when they have a new client, they don't charge them a fee for it. Right. But what it might mean is they hang around with someone like you for a while. And ask, Hey, can I get your coffee for you and listen in and, and kind of hang out with you sometimes and blah, 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 and pick up your shirts and dry cleaning and, you know, hang out with you more and drive you to some appointments and blah, 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 you know, (laughs) but but that doesn't, you know, it certainly wouldn't be when you have a client, say, hey, you know, it's my first time doing this. So I'm just going to, you know, do no, I, I wouldn't go that way. <laughs> but, you know, but, it, but it means that you, you, you make a determination on, on what you need to do in order to get the information that you need to be able to properly serve another person and to the skills to be able to communicate that value. Yes.
0: And again, I think you, you do it based on your own unique situation. I agree. That's great. So, as you're growing and the speaking is becoming more and more, and you have folks telling you, hey, you should really pursue this even more. And one thing that'll, one avenue that'll help you is if you write a book. I, I, I'm curious, when before you wrote the book um, and things start growing even more, did you have an end goal of where you wanted to be? I mean, did it, it does Bob look back today as when he started and say, man, I reached my goal. Are you exceeding where you thought you'd be? Are you still, you know, wanting to do more? Tell me a little bit about that and the mindset.
1: I don't think there was ever a point where I, I reached what I necessarily
0: felt I had to reach.
1: Yeah. Um, but things have, you know, things changed in different areas in terms mm-hmm. of what I wanted to do. So, you know, building a successful speaking practice, sure, but it was always around you know around endless referrals it was still you know an outbound type of thing as opposed to me getting calls i could use what i had to position i could get lots of referrals that's what i taught but it was always an outbound type of proactive building of the business which again was fine for what it was but i wanted to move to another you know to another point in my career and um the go-giver written by uh, you know written with john david mann who i credit john as you know really that he was the lead writer storyteller and you probably heard me say that before because it's just you know he's magnificent i'm a how-to guy as you can tell and john's a great storyteller but after the go-giver which i felt was my way of kind of reaching a bigger audience in another way so it wasn't just the endless referrals part it was more of a message it was a business and life message But an interesting thing happened is the book got really big. Business started to come to me much more and that kind of put my business into a different, different category in a, in a sense. Um, But then I also wanted to take it to another level where we could have people who were uh, because people would ask me, you know, have you ever thought of licensing your materials? And I really hadn't, but you know, the marketplace, if you listen to it, will kind of tell you what absolutely. Yeah. And, And so I said, you know, it's a good idea because I can only, you know, do so much. And, but I love teaching, of course, and I love the idea of having, so now we, we didn't set it up as something where if someone could afford it, they were in, not at all. Uh, My business partner, Kathy Tajanel and I are very, we could say, protective, I'd say paranoid about our brand. So for someone to become one of our speakers, they have to first be already very successful, and having lived their life and conducted their business that way, yep. there's, you know, a, a program first they have to come to, it's a whole, you know, a whole thing. Yeah. So, but we have a wonderful, amazing group of speakers, team of speakers. So, so that's another, now this newest thing I'm doing, because I, I, I had been, you know, I'll, I'll, at the time of this interview, I'm a couple of weeks away from being 63, And while I've loved my business over the past 30 years, and really the honor I've had of speaking all over to some of the just greatest groups and people, and I never loved the traveling part.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah.
1: yeah, So over the past few years, uh, I've cut down on my travel significantly. And I was down now this year, I'd had 20 at at the most. Now this past year, 2020 was going to be just 15 engagements outside, you know, where I'd have to take a plane. Yes. I I'll speak all day in Florida. That's fine. But I'm yeah. where I'd have to travel. Um, and of course, COVID wiped out that. And it, But what it said was, you know, Berg, you're feeling kind of relieved that you don't have to travel. I yeah. wasn't relieved about COVID, of course, that's a catastrophe. But the fact that I didn't have to get on a plane in 2020... Was like the one thing for me during twenty twenty that was a real positive in terms of my and I said you yeah, know I'm just not doing it anymore. So yeah. now I'm only speaking through um, when I speak at a conference or convention only through um, you know basically doing it right here you know yeah. uh, doing it virtual virtually yeah. Um, So um, I'm not talking about interviews, those I'll always do. I I speak on podcast, I mean, I'm interviewed all the time, but to do it, to actually speak at an event, they'll have to beam me in Scotty, You know, they'll have to and and so forth. So, but I I also realized that would give me time to do something I really wanted to do. And that is create a, what we call the Go-Giver Success Alliance
0: Mm. that
1: Kathy and I have just put together where we can have it constantly, an entire community of people who live their lives and conduct business, the go-giver way where, you know, I can teach and mentor and have questions and be a student as well as a teacher and, uh, and, and, you know, so forth. So, so that's my next, so, you know, so I'm not saying, well, we have to have this much, this, or we had to have that many speakers, or I had to have that many bookings or had to, I kind of let that kind of kind of happen uh Absolutely. i know it's not politically correct you're supposed to have a goal of oh i want to make x amount of money and, that, and that's fine i th- those are great yep. i haven't had to do that i've been more uh it's been more about the fun and the impact and the action that needs to be taken you and that's just how it's comfortable for me
0: yeah no that's perfect that's perfect so i i want to dig in because you mentioned um john david mann who after um after your first book you guys co-authored and joined forces for the Go-Giver series um, of of books. How did you guys meet? What was the connection there? And how did the idea of writing together come about?
1: Yeah. So John was the editor in chief of a magazine I used to write for. Okay. So every month I'd, I'd submit an article and John as the editor would, you know, would correct it and edit it and send it back. And, you know, Editors are, are, you know, very wise people. They're typically, you know, much better writers than we are, and they do good. But a lot of times, they'll just take your best stuff and leave it on the editing room floor, and they're not really thinking context sometimes as much as space. And right. so it can be kind of a, you know, a, a back and forth type of thing sometimes. With John, it was totally different. He would, he was so uh, polite and kind And, you know, he'd send back a thing and it would always be, hey, I moved this here. I took this out here. I placed this here. Is this okay?" And, you know, I'm never used to that. And the the running joke was every month I'd write him back saying, John, not only is it okay, uh, you write my stuff better than I write my stuff. (laughs) And so I uh, when I had the idea for the book based on the, you know, the premise of endless referrals and all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like and trust. And you know what is? Uh, how does someone like that develop those relationships? How do they develop these relationships quickly and sustainably? And and who's well? They're givers, right? They're they're always focused on giving value to others. So coming up with the title, the Go Giver, pretty easy. Um, but I also knew that again, as a as a um, how to author, that's different from right. writing a parable. Yes, and I wanted this to be a parable and so john was the only one i asked okay. the only one i wanted to be the lead writer and author now at the time even though he wasn't as known as he is now because after the go-giver he became sort of the golden boy for like the agents and publishers when they had a celebrity or a big business person or a sports person who you know the neatest story and john was the one they would hire to you know do it fascinating and, you know that's Yeah. But back then, very few people knew about this guy's genius and his brilliance. Fortunately, I was one of them who did. Right. Right. So I had asked him to, you know, to be the lead writer and the storyteller. And, you know, and and as he tells a story, you know, he, he said to his at the time, fiance, now his his wife, Anna, he had said, you know, I really don't have time to do this right now. But I mean, you know, it's Bob. How can I just, you know, not at least you know, acknowledge this and think about it and so forth. So the neat thing, they, they live in Western Massachusetts, but her mom lived in um, Western, the, the Gulf Coast of Florida, where John and Anna still have a, a place now. But what they did is while they were down there, over there, they drove four hours to where I live on the East Coast of Florida. And we had about a three-hour dinner discussing the book, the idea, what it would be about, what we'd do with it, what we wanted it to accomplish. He still wasn't totally persuaded. So it was about three weeks later when he, you know, he, he called me and he said, you know, uh, I've spoken with my higher power, Anna, and then, <laughs> he calls Anna his higher power. And, he's, <laughs> and he says, and you know, we both think there might be something here. Let's do this. So it took us about three months to kind of put the book together. And then about a year and 25 rejections from different publishers. Wow. Before we found the right, the perfect publishing partner, which was Portfolio, an imprint of uh, Penguin Random House. So again, it goes to show, just keep kind of going through the nose. And and you're eventually, if if it's supposed to happen, you know, you need to do it without attachment to the results, but you take the correct action.
0: And if it's supposed to happen, well, it's gonna that's phenomenal so 25 different no's before you get to the yes how during that did you guys stay motivated and you know keep believing that hey this is you know a a good book it's high quality it's it needs to be out there well we believed in it
1: so we we believed in the message and we thought it would eventually find someone but we also listened to the feedback now of course you got some that just said we don't think another parable will work yep. or, you know, we just like it or, yeah, we love it, but it's just not for us or, you know, all the different things, but there were some where it was, you know, I think you need to have blah, 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 blah. And we listened and we, you know, we, we didn't just make the correction, but we then put it out to kind of our brain trust and said, okay, what do you think of it? You know, so right. we made some changes, uh, developed. We also put together a much better marketing plan over mm. the, over that year. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And so, you know, we, we took the, the, um, uh, the areas that needed to be strengthened and we, and we did that. And, uh, you know,
0: Absolutely. So, that's, so the book gets, yeah. So the go-giver gets published now, once again, when, when you release a new book and, and it's out there, um, you know, it, where it goes from there is based on uh, oftentimes your, your amount of effort. So, What did you guys do to promote the book and at what point did it click for you that you're like, this is a successful book? I mean, did it take time? Was it, Hey, right off the bat, it had great sales. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: You know, I got to tell you in, in my life, Phil, very few things have happened fast. I'm the type that's always had to work, you know, extra hard for the things to, you know, it's never been one of those instant success things with me. Yep. This was probably the first project I'd ever worked on that just right out of the gate happened. Okay. And of course, it still took, you know, time to, it took that year and 25 rejections <laughs> to happen. But, <laughs> but once it got out there, it found an audience really quickly. Now, it. we had it set up pretty well in which John and I both had good networks of people who knew us, liked us, trusted us, and mm-hmm. they were willing to get behind the book. We sent it out to a lot of people who, who got behind the book. But really what it was, was it was the, and this is interesting, I, I think, that the first adopters, the early adopters of the book, were not the people who needed to read the book. Okay. It was the people who, put, because we got emails tons of emails that said, this is how, uh, you know, first of all, from people who are very, very successful. Yeah. And they said, this is how I did it. And oh, you guys okay. have simply put a name and a methodology to it and the laws to it. And, I've, and here's what they said. And this was what was so to me, which made this happen. I've tried to tell others that this is how I've done it. And they haven't believed me. Uh-huh. Why? Because what do we see on TV and in the movies? business people, people who make a lot of money did it on the backs of others or through Mm. stepping on people's toes or through ripping people off, right? Yeah. Well, these people have been trying to say, no, that's not how, but, and you know, people, you know, probably believe them an intellectual level, but not on an emotional level. So they started buying the books for their teams. We were getting orders for tens, so, you know, for hundreds, for thousands of times of books that went through organizations, okay, from leaders now. The second wave of adopters were the people who got this from those who they, you know, who were their leaders, who were there. And and these are the people who, you know, felt this is a message I needed. I didn't realize. And I think what it came down to is they wanted permission to be good people and still be successful.
0: Yes. I mean, I think
1: it came down to nothing more than a very simple
0: message like that. I love that, and I think the way that you guys wrote the story, and to your point, you know, wanting it to be a parable, I think it helps people of all business levels and acumen, and just people in general, be able to understand the concepts because it's just examples, right? I mean, it's it's a it's a parable, it's it's a story. So,
1: yeah, I I mean, I think stories kind of connect on more of a heart to heart level. Yes, and. And I know with me, and I've always enjoyed reading parables, right? For that reason, you know, you feel like the author's speaking to you, you're, you're kind of emotionally connecting with the story and with the characters, you can see the mistakes you've made and some of the victories you've had, you can picture how you could be in that person's place. Mm -hmm. So, so I think it's a, it's a really effective way of communicating a message.
0: Yes, that's fascinating. That's great. So, um, as the first go-giver has success, then we traverse and there's three more that you guys end up writing <laughs> and what were the catalysts for the next three books?
1: So the next one was go-givers sell more, which you had yeah. talked about a bit earlier. And that's yep. the only one of the four. That's not a parable. Yep. Uh, that is a, that is a, uh, really it's a guide, uh, accompanying guide in a sense to the go-giver. Yes. And that was because so many people asked us for like examples of how it, you know, they wanted a deeper dive
0: mm-hmm. so with a
1: parable. It's by, by nature, it's sort of a surface type of explanation. Correct. So they wanted a deeper dive. So what we did was two things with this. One, we went deeper into explaining the laws, the five laws, okay? But we also shared stories of people who, after they read the book, applied that particular law and did really, really well. And we also had a lot of examples of people who long before they ever read the book were utilizing those principles. Because, again, you know, those none of those laws are original to John and me. I mean, these have been around since time immemorial, right? Right. And so uh, we just named them a certain way, explained them a certain way, put them together in a certain format. But they've always been. And so that was really what, what Go-Givers Sell More was about. That was really an application guide to the Go-Giver. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, after that, people said, well, how would a leader take the principles of, of the Go-Giver? And if I said, so we can't with the Go-Giver leader. And then the last one was the Go-Giver influencer, which yes. is really a book on people skills. Love it. And, you know, I, I truly believe that, that people skills are the differentiator between that person who, has attained a, a reasonable level of, of success, a real legitimate level of success. And that person who attains what we call stratospheric success, people's skills are the differentiator. Agreed. When you've got that, you know, now you're really, you're, you're nine steps ahead of the game in a 10 step game. Yeah. You're much, you, you much more easily develop the know, the like, the trust people understand who you are, what you stand for, and it really makes life and makes business a lot easier.
0: That's amazing. That is amazing and spot on. I agree with you. It's the, yeah, sometimes it's a uh, a skill that you just need to read a book like that, right? That helps you learn a little bit more. And other times it's people that uh, or organically just, just have that maybe because of the way they're raised or people that they've been surrounded with. That's great. So one thing that you uh, highlight, and and I think it's interesting, and I always love talking about mentorship and uh, you know being surrounded by others and learning from others. But you said you learned a golden nugget by a drive-by mentor, and that shifted your perspective. So talk a little bit about this drive-by yeah. mentor and what, how that came to be.
1: Well, this was a couple of years after I started in sales, and again, I was doing pretty well and and so forth, and I. I went to work for another company selling a, a very high ticket item. And um, I was in a slump and I was in a bad slump. And, and um, you know, when you're in a slump, you really start to, you can start to panic mm. and your focus rather than being on the other person kind of is on yourself, right? And, right. and I, I definitely fell into that. And I remember going back to the office one day after, a, uh, after a, an appointment that turned out not to be a, a sale. And it was really my own doing. It was my own ineptness at the time and my own lack of, of the correct focus. And there was a guy there at the office. He wasn't in the sales department. He, I think he was in the engineering department. I didn't know him very well. Uh, nice guy. I mean, but, but you know, you didn't really, he, he didn't say much. And uh, But he was one of these guys who, when he did say something, it, it was typically pretty profound. And I think yeah. he saw me sort of as Joe in the story that I, you know, then write about, 20 years later or whatever it would be in 25 years later. And, um, and, you know, as that, as that up and coming salesperson, you know, ambitious, aggressive, and, and really looking to succeed, but holding himself back. I think he saw that in me. And, and he said to me, Berg, he was a, a last name kind of guy. He said, <laughs> Berg, can I give you some advice? And I said, yeah, please do. I, I need it. And he said, you know, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. Mm -hmm. Your target, he said, is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, you'll get a reward and that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money, whatever you choose, but never forget, he said, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others. And that's really when it hit me that great salesmanship was never about the salesperson. Great salesmanship is never about the product or the service as important as those are. Great salesmanship is about the other person. It's about touching the lives of those you serve. It's how that other person's life becomes better yeah. just as a result of having you in it. And when that, you start from that premise, now sales takes on a whole different
0: meaning. That is so profound. I, I absolutely love that because it is. It's, it, it's others focused, right? When it becomes about us, that's when yeah. things don't go as well. So, Yeah.
1: I like to say be internally motivated, but externally focused.
0: Yes, that's great. What a golden nugget. Listen to that nine times, write it on your walls, get it tattooed, whatever you need to do. But remember that. That's good. So when we talk about mentorship, right, you've had a lot of different people in your life that have, you know, given you guidance, given you nuggets or thoughts of things. But one of the things you, you like to talk about is what's the best way to find a mentor?
1: Well, I mean, I think there's lots of places you can find them. Uh, You know, they can be people, you know, people in your community, people who people in your community know who can introduce, they can introduce you to, it could be someone you meet online. I think the biggest thing more than finding them, although, you know, you want to find someone who obviously has either been successful in your field or just has been successful in certain ways who you'd like to learn from Um, someone with, you know, who has similar values and so forth. But I think the big thing is how you approach them. Yeah. because most people who you want to have mentor you lots of people want to have them mentor them and they only have a limited amount of time to be able to you know to do that so i think uh, that what a lot of people do is you know they'll they'll go they'll approach this person uh, and you know they'll say something like hey would you be my mentor and what happens i think with most of of these people who are asked is, you know, it comes across first in a a way that's a a bit entitled, you know, I mean, it's almost like saying, hey, will you share 30 years of your experience with me, even though you don't know me from a hole in the wall, right? And so, um, in it, so I think that when you, instead, you approach someone like that in, in such a way that you say, uh, you know, if, if, Uh, you're either too busy to do this or just don't have the inclination, I absolutely totally understand. I'm wondering if if I could possibly ask you one or two very specific questions. Yes. Now, when you do that, you've done a few things. One is you've honored the process. You have not come across as though you were entitled or they owe you. You're letting them know that you understand this is a big ask and that they're busy people. You're also giving them the out or back door by saying, I'll, totally you know understand yeah. but you're also not just asking them for something very general like i want to pick your brain you know i want to waste 2 hours of your time you're saying if i could ask you one or two very specific questions and this tells the person that you're serious yep that you have an agenda and in this case, context when i say agenda i mean that in a good way you know right. You right, know right. Exactly <laughs> what you want or, right? it's not a hidden agenda you let them know your agenda one or two very specific questions and and so you know then and and most people will say sure you know of course not not everybody but not everybody has to you know yep uh but but people will and and of course make sure you research them sufficiently so you don't ask them anything that you could know the answer to without you know before asking because obviously that's that would be kind of productive you want to make sure you don't take up much of their time you express your gratitude and let them know how much you appreciate their help and you'll keep in touch if that's okay and let them know of your progress which they'll welcome you to do and and i would say that you know once you get off the phone you send a personalized handwritten note of thanks just a brief one saying thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule your advice was just so priceless and i look forward to applying it and you know i'll keep in touch and let you know you know whatever uh, hand stamp, handwritten, boom, send it. I'd also, you know, do something like um, make a small, doesn't have to be anything big, but make a small donation to their local charity of choice, which you can easily, again, find out just by researching them online or at, at right. most calling their admin and asking and make a small donation in their name. They'll be notified of that. And you're not doing it to kiss up or anything, but just again, to honor the process yep. and communicate how much you appreciate them now when you when you call back or or email or whatever it happens to be however it's within you a few weeks to let them know how um you know what what's happening you might have another question or you might be in a you know get into a conversation and it you know if a mentor protege relationship is supposed to ensue over time it will but it's a it's a relationship it doesn't just happen overnight and it might be that that's the only time you'll speak with that person, and it might be somebody else you speak about with something else, or something else, or someone who maybe for a couple of months, and eventually you might find that one, you know, Tuesdays with Maury type of mentor who you're always, you know, yes. talk- I don't know. You know, you, you can't be attached to the result. You just you know you just got to do the, and 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 that's really I think what it comes down to. Don't you know? Don't be too attached to having to have, to have that one mentor in that one area forever. Just whatever's going to happen is going to happen.
0: I think that's phenomenal. And the thing I like that you just shared is, you know, in the mentor mentee relationship, oftentimes uh, the mentee doesn't provide as much value in regards to a knowledge exchange. But if you're doing some of those things, you you can still add value back, right? So if you're making a small donation or a donation, they'll make them feel good handwritten letter, people always appreciate that their time was valuable, and a thank you. So that's great. That is great. Well, then last, so last pointed question I have for you, Bob. Um, I, I always think there's a concept that's been very impactful in my life. And it's this idea of blissful dissatisfaction. Okay. And so as I explain it, certain people hit their goal, and then they plateau because they hit the goal and they don't want to ever exceed it. Then you kind of have the other end of the spectrum of a person who says, I hit my goal, now what's next? And they're constantly working on what's next. And so they never actually enjoy the process or they don't take time to look back and realize all the amazing things they've accomplished. How in your career and in your life have you been able to balance that? Because you've obviously exceeded expectations um, and done wildly amazing things in a lot of different areas, um, but actually you know, taking time to reflect on that.
1: Well, first of all, I've exceeded expectations in certain areas and I've failed miserably in certain areas. So, you know, you know, it's not like everything's been a success, believe me. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And but but I but going back to what you had said about the I think you called it blissful dissatisfaction. Yeah, I like that. You know, I mean, you you. accomplish certain goals and and you feel a certain way you stay in the present you enjoy what you do you know you feel grateful you're appreciative but there's also you know and there's also other things you want to do and so uh, I think those are the happiness the happiest people you know they they're always learning something new they're heading some but they also stay in the present in order to enjoy what they're doing at the time
0: yes I love it Well, Bob, it has been absolutely joy having you on today. You know, I I appreciate your wisdom, sharing your story. I mean, it's amazing to look at some of those seemingly small moments, right? The gentleman that pulls you aside and, uh, you know, makes a comment after a tough day in sales, Uh, the ability to uh, listen to Zig Ziglar and then actually apply it, the opportunity to, you know, go through 25 people telling you no, but you say, well, we're going to go on to 26 and, and where that's led you. I appreciate you sharing, uh, you know, just a lot of great insights and, and the amazing things that you've done. And uh, I hope for everyone that's listening, uh, we'll, we'll include a link in the bottom uh, where you can find Bob's books. They're very easy to find. They're, they're all over, but um, would definitely encourage uh, seeking those out. And as he continues to uh, release more, that's virtual, uh, interacting and connecting with those as well. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Who Knew in the Moment podcast and listening to Bob Bird. Please find his link below to buy any of his books and please share this with others. Thanks so much and have a great rest of your day.